just to uh, to walk us through the next little bit of our service, um, David is going to come and do our first reading for us, and then we will uh, listen to Alistair um, do his bit over video, and then um, we'll sing another song, and then uh, David will give us our second reading. Um, and so that's kind of how the next little bit is um, going to play out. So David, if you'll come and do our first reading for us. And the first reading is from Peter's first epistle, chapter 1, and verses 5 to 8. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Amen. Having had COVID this week, I've been working my way through some films and some series on Netflix. Well, actually on Amazon Prime. And so I'm aware that before each episode in a series, there's a quick recap of the previous episode or the main points for the series up until this point. And I've noticed that there's a wee button in the bottom of the screen that says skip recap which I assume is there for folks who spend whole days binging a series and don't really need the recap of the episode they've just watched. But I've noticed that rarely do I press the skip recap button. I like to be reminded of the main points so that I know what's important as we move on to the next episode. It doesn't make me not want to watch that episode. It's not a substitute for watching the full episode and being drawn into the story but it does help to get the main points of what went before. So, in true Netflix or Amazon Prime style, here is your quick recap. And if you're watching this online, there's no skip recap button, so you're just going to have to deal with that. Our world is chaotic, in big ways and small ways. We've seen that massively over the last few years. And in that chaos, we have a sense of longing for peace, for foundation, for an anchor or a tether. 
And as people of faith, we find that in the person of Jesus and through our relationship with him. Yet, it seems that when we're actually looking for that foundation or that anchor to bring us that peace in the chaos of the world, we often fail to find it. And I've experienced people who have been lifelong churchgoers who haven't had the assurance of their faith at the darkest points of their lives. And I think this is because the church hasn't been overt enough and strong enough in equipping people with the tools to build that foundation of faith. I don't think that we've been teaching people how to practically be Christians. But Jesus gives us some advice. He gives us two pictures, one of a vine and one of a yoke. And so the first picture is the vine. He says that like the branches of a vine, we need to stay connected to the central vine to live and thrive. If a branch is cut off, it will wither and die. And in the same way, we need to stay connected to Jesus to thrive in our life and in our faith. Various people have found various ways over the years to stay connected to the vine. But one man called Benedict developed what he called a rule, which is a way of intentionally ordering various aspects of our lives to help us stay connected. And although the word rule seems a little authoritarian, it can actually be translated as trellis, which is the thing that supports a vine. The other picture is the yoke. A yoke is a farming implement, but in essence, it helps you carry a heavy load. But a yoke was also the way that a rabbi would talk about the way he would understand the scriptures and live his life. What Jesus, who was a rabbi, was using this picture to explain was that our burdens would be easier, are easier to carry if we mirror Jesus' way of living. And one of the ways of mirroring Jesus' way of living is to look at the things he did, the way he lived his life, and to intentionally order our lives around that. And so the rule or rule of life is the thing that connects these two pictures. The rule helps us to order or plan our lives to mirror Jesus' way of living, and the rule acts as a trellis to help us to stay strong and connected to Jesus, the vine, and thriving in our faith. Now, putting together a rule of life isn't something that is particularly difficult. It doesn't have to be a huge task, and you don't need to do a whole lot of soul-searching to begin. Now, of course, if you want to go really deeply into it, then you can, and I can point you towards books and websites and podcasts that can help you with that. But in essence, a rule of life is something that is grounded and practical. It doesn't have to be complicated, but it does require some effort, some forethought and some planning. And I genuinely don't believe that any of us can't find an hour or so over Lent to begin to plan. So you can imagine that if my son James came to me and said that he wanted me to spend some time going out on a bike ride with him, and I said, 
Well, I don't really have time in the next couple of weeks to do that because, well, you see, I've got my Facebook feed to catch up on and I've not really managed to catch up with the latest Star Trek series. So, well, I might be able to fit you fit in a quick trip around the block, maybe next month. Well, if I said that, you start to question how seriously I was taking being a dad and how seriously I was nurturing my relationship with my son. Our relationship with Jesus and our faith is the same. It takes intent and time to build a firm foundation. And so the rule is something that is grounded and practical and something that really comes from our own experience and our lives. Because you see, we actually all have a rule of life already. We all have a rule of life. We all choose to live our lives in a certain way and with a certain rhythm. We just might not have it written down. So, generally, we get up at a certain time. We go to bed at a certain time. We factor in our work or our voluntary activities and spending time with family and friends. Some of us will take the dog for a walk at a set point each day. And we might arrange our day or week to be able to catch up with our favourite programmes on TV or to go to the cinema. Or we might play football or hockey or netball with a team at a certain point in the week. See, all of these things add up to an unwritten rule of life. But because it's unwritten means that we might forget to do certain things. So we might forget to pay that bill or make that important phone call. We might not quite get round to booking that holiday or time off work. And we certainly never get time to practice our painting hobby or our guitar or piano playing hobby or that woodworking project. And so the things that help us thrive or rest or the things that make our lives easier get forgotten about in the rush and the mess. We effectively become like untamed and untended vines, and they don't produce good fruit or wine. But if we take Jesus' yoke, the way Jesus lived his life, we find that he had specific rhythms and specific things he did in his life that helped him stay connected to God. In church speak, we, uh, these are often called spiritual disciplines. But perhaps practices or habits of Jesus might be a better phrase to hold on to. And so the rule of life is based on these practices or habits. And the rule gives us a practical framework and way to put them into our life. And so rather than going on explaining the theory behind it, I thought I'd just show you my fledgling, fledgling rule of life. So I split my rule of life into three categories, and they are God, personal, and other people. And then I split my categories into five times, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and yearly. And it's from there that I start filling in what I do or what I'm going to do under each of the categories. Now, the idea is not to fill every box but to do something that you think is helpful and sustainable. And really importantly, it has to be something that you can manage with your lifestyle. 
So for some people having half an hour every morning to pray and read the Bible or work through some Bible reading notes or a Bible reading app is what helps them. For me, that's not that helpful. I manage that once a week doing Friday prayers, but much more than that, and I am not going to manage because I know that I've got to help get the kids up, get them dressed and washed, breakfasted and out to school or nursery. And to be honest, none of us in the manse are morning people. So instead of that, and for this season in my life, I do something that I know is sustainable. So I pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day, morning, lunch and evening. It's short, it helps me focus on God for those moments, and it fits with my day. And so I have a reminder on my phone to do it, to help, and I have the prayer written so that I can read it and follow it. On my weekly bit, I try to listen to a Bible commentary or theology podcast once a week. For my monthly bit, I have down to write a worship song once a month through the 12-song challenge with resound worship that I've talked about before. And that's all in the relationship with God, part of my rule of life. In the personal bit, I've got some things to do with staying healthy, like getting sleep and going to the gym and taking my days off. But I also have things about tidying the house or watching a film just to relax. And then in the other people box, I have things like going for dinner with my parents once a week, things like team meetings, one-to-one -one meetings with parish workers, and of course, really importantly, chats with my wife, Nicola. So some things are what you'd call descriptive, things like attending church, going to meetings, prayer with James and Daniel, having dinner with Grand and Grandad, holidays. These are things that I was already doing that I realize are helpful to be intentional about and to prioritize. Some other things are what we would call prescriptive. So things like writing songs, the Lord's Prayer three times, podcasts, tidying up the house. And these are things that can get forgotten about or I need reminders about or things I want to add to help my health or my relationships with others or my relationship with God. So my advice is to start simple. If you can only do one or two things, then commit to doing those things. So, for example, you might commit to attending church once a week, to reading a psalm, going for a walk, attending a life group. And don't get too worried if you slip up one day. Just try again the next day. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to explore the practices or habits of Jesus. And your challenge is to begin to think about how you might be able to integrate them into your life. How you might intentionally take one or two of those habits on and commit to them. You might already come to church. You might already listen to the worship on a Tuesday night. You might already go to a life group. That's great. Do them, but prioritize them. Put them in your rule of life. Put them into your jug first before you add everything else and get out of the habit. Now, I've left a very basic outline of a rule of life that might help you to begin to plan. And so I'd encourage you to pick up one of those and begin to think about how this could work for your life. 
However, we'll give you some more info as the series goes on, and you might want to hear about some of the practices or habits of Jesus before jumping in. Either way at this point is fine. So we are going to sing, and then we're going to begin to explore the first habit of Jesus with Peter. So let's sing together the hymn, Restore, O Lord. And the second reading is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, and reading verses 35 to 39. 
Jesus prays in a solitary place. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Amen. Thank you, David. So the first habit of Jesus that we're going to talk about really quickly this morning is the idea of silence and solitude. Now, two years ago around this time, we were all, or at least most of us who weren't um, considered key workers, we were forced into a bit of silence and solitude. We were forced to stay at home. We were forced to not see other people, even our closest family members. And I think for a lot of people, especially in the Western world that's so focused on productivity and busyness, it was a really, really difficult thing. And I'm not going to suggest that the lockdown and the enforced silence and solitude that we were all experiencing was um, somehow a great thing, um, although parts of it were, were maybe good for the world and good for us. It was a really, really difficult thing for us to experience, but part of that was because I think we all found it really, really difficult to slow down. In our passage in Mark, Jesus gets up early and goes away to be by himself and spends some time in silence and solitude. Now, what that really looked like, I'm not exactly sure. Jesus, uh, I don't think, had a pocket scroll of the Torah that he was taking with him. So it doesn't necessarily have to look any one way. It's not just a Bible study or a prayer or anything else like that. The other thing that goes along with what Alistair was saying is, Although Jesus goes out in the morning, that's a time he could find for himself. Um, I'm not particularly a morning person either, and so it doesn't have to be a morning that you find the silence and solitude either. It can be any time throughout your day. But the first question that I want to really ask, and, and the main thing that always comes into my head with a lot of these things, is the question, why? Why do we need silence and solitude? Why do we do this? Why is this a sort of spiritual discipline? Now, I have been one to, um, at times in, in past, in the past couple of years, you've maybe even heard me talk about an idea of recharging, an idea that in order to keep going for the work ahead, in order to keep fighting for good, fighting for justice, and doing all of these things, that we need to take time to rest and to recharge in order to go back out there. And I think there's some truth to that still, but there have been some things that I've been reading and, and listening to that have um, sort of challenged that idea of um, rest and silence and solitude being only about recharging so that we can go out and be busy again. 
Because I think even though that attempts to fight back against the busyness of our culture, the idea that you always have to be going and always have to be productive and that if you have a day where you don't, you know, do anything or accomplish anything, that somehow that's a wasted day. The idea of rest and silence and solitude being about recharging to go back out and be busy again, is it still buying into that notion that your value is only in what you produce? Which is a very capitalist way of thinking about it, in that you are just a worker there to be part of the, you're a cog in the machine of capitalism and production, and that your value is as a useful cog, and if you're not useful anymore, then you are no longer valuable to the system. That, that is a, a toxic and untrue way of looking at the world. And so I want to maybe pivot away from the idea of rest and silence and solitude as a recharge and think of it more as a core part of who you are as a human being and what you deserve. And so as we're looking at this rule of life, this way of orienting your whole being around um, encountering God and having a, a word I've used a lot in the past as well, an intentional way of organizing your life. I want to think about silence and solitude as a core part of who you are. And this goes all the way back to the story of creation. When God, God's self, rests. On the seventh day, God rests. And through that, the idea of a Sabbath rest is instituted. The idea that at least one day a week, you should rest. Why is it to recharge for the week ahead? No. You rest because God rested, because you're valuable enough as you are, because your, your usefulness and your value is not in your production. It's not in whether or not you have done something. You could lay in your bed all day, do nothing, do nothing, and you are just as valuable to God. You are not your production. And so when we're talking about silence and solitude as part of something that we should bake into our life, it goes back to the Sabbath that God has baked into humanity, that God has baked into this world. Silence and solitude is part of who we are. There's a verse in the book of Hebrews that says, So then a Sabbath rest still remains for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also cease from their labors as God did. This verse, in maybe somewhat of a macabre sense, I think is, is talking about ultimately when we pass on from this world and go to be with God and find that ultimate rest where we get this idea of resting in peace. But I think what this reminds us is that we are made for Sabbath and we don't have to wait till the ultimate rest to stop. We are not just our labors. You are not just what you produce. You can find rest. And Jesus took time in the morning to go out and take time in silence and in solitude because he could, because he should. It's as simple as that. But this idea, I think, is, is revolutionary in that it challenges the system of the world. It challenges the culture that says you are only your busyness. And again, this idea of claiming back rest actually comes from black women 
theologians who are thinking about the idea of rest and silence and solitude in a way that goes back to their ancestors who were enslaved, who were literally only about production. The idea of slavery in the West and the institution that enslaved people in chattel slavery, they were only there to produce. And so the idea of reclaiming silence and solitude and rest is about reclaiming for them a God-given right to simply exist without having to work. So I'm not trying to take that way of thinking that belongs to that community, the idea of reclaiming rest for the black community and for black women. But I think it speaks a huge amount of wisdom to us, like so much of what black women have to say. It is an incredibly beautiful and deep truth to who we are as as human beings and as Christians. It is a deep, deep truth that goes back to God's very self when God rested. So as we are looking at our own rule of life, again, it's not about it's not about forcing yourself and your life into some kind of mold that you think is a good Christian or is a good life. It's about finding the rhythms and patterns that work for you. This is something that should be freeing for you, should be good for you. I've spent far too many years trying to be the Christian that I thought I should be, that I saw other people being, and I I was chasing a way of, of being a Christian that was just trying to be a copy of other people. You need to find the true, deep way of of living your life in communion with God that works for you, that doesn't have to be a copy. So Alistair's made up that um, chart thing. There's little stacks of it in the back. So around coffee time, you'll you'll see a few of them floating about. You can grab one and take it home. It, It could be a helpful way to sort of organize your thoughts around how you're going to do it. But find how it works for you. Find where you fit. You might find your silence and solitude fits in different parts. You might find that it is perfect for you in the morning and that that pattern is is exactly what you need. You might find that you already do it. And this is something you're like, yeah, I know. I know, Peter, shut up. I, I already do this. Silence and solitude. That's my jam. I love it. Um, maybe that's you. And and if so, that that's great. And, and I, um, I, I wish you well in that. But have a look at that and have a think. We're, we're trying to get at the way of living in, in which everything is connected and intentional. and It's not pinging from pillar to post in, with mixed messages. That is, is how we're starting with these habits of Jesus. So that is our first habit is silence and solitude. We're going to continue our worship now and sing together, Come and Find the Quiet Center. Thank you. 
So let us go from this place in the knowledge and the hope that you are valued not for what you produce or your busyness, but just for being one of God's lovely creatures. So let us go with the peace of Christ and the courage of the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. Thank you.